Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is episode number 14, and today we have an incredible guest. His name is Chris Duffin. AKA the mad scientist. Yeah. AKA the founder of Kabuki Strength Systems. You guys might know of him. And if you don't know, you should. He is amazing. He's a man of many hats and does some pretty amazing things for the fitness world and the fitness industry uh, in general. So today we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about his new business venture, which is Barefoot Athletics. Uh, and why he created it. We talk about the importance of strengthening the foot if you're trying to improve your performance. We talk about many of his other business ventures like the shoulder rock, the duffel bar, and his education through Kabuki Strength. Give us a little uh, look behind the scenes at what goes on at the Kabuki Strength Lab as well. Yes. We talk about what got him into lifting, his story, history of lifting, and why he does what he does, why he is... Uh, how old is he? 43? Coming up on 43. Coming up, 43 years old and still lifting super heavy. He just recently deadlifted a thousand pounds for three. Did he do three or two? Almost three. And oh. he squatted a uh, thousand for two. And he wants to do. He just wants to do more reps with a thousand than anyone's thousand. ever done. Yeah. So he wants to be the person that moves the most amount of weight. That's his goal. And he's been pursuing that goal for about 15 years. We talk about his book, the ego and the the ego and the dragon. We talk about the fundraisers that Kabuki Strength plays a role in, which is pretty amazing, and what his current training regime and goals are. Pretty amazing episode. I loved it. This is one of my favorites. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a really really interesting story. Yeah, a real uh, sort of rag rags to riches story. He's super educated. He's an engineer. Has an MBA. Uh, he's an inventor. He's got a manufacturing company. This guy does so much on top of training and uh, educating. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. It was really fun to talk to him about it all. Mm-hmm. Before we get into this podcast is sponsored by Ghost Strong Equipment, the strongest and best equipment for gyms and homes that you could possibly get. They can make anything that you want. They can customize it with your colors. They can customize it with your logo. You can send them ideas of what you want made and they'll make it. Mm-hmm. They are, they're, they're the toughest. They're the best. the best. Our gym's full of it. And the nicest people ever. And the nicest people ever. Shout out to Tim. Gristle. So if you want to get yourself or your gym some ghost equipment, head out to www.ghoststrongequipment.com to snag some. And without any more further ado, please enjoy our podcast. All the barefoot style shoe market is all uh, catered to runners and hippies right. and and that's my joke my joke because if you're wearing vibrant five fingers or any of the barefoot style shoes out there they may work great but you're never going to get laid <laughs> <laughs> even, even if you're married you're still not going to get laid like it just yeah they're lame. The, the aesthetic is just so bad the aesthetic is so bad on those yeah there's <laughs> nothing sexy about five finger toes or uh sand dukes yeah I mean, they work. They're functional, but they're just. (laughs) No, they're. I'm sorry. If I wore those, I would not get laid. I mean, (laughs) just. So. (laughs) Um, This is true. I used to hate, and you used to wear those, the five five toe ones. Yeah. And honestly, I almost broke up with you. (laughs) See my point? Yeah. Dark times. We made it through. 
All right. Let's start with, you know, something that really interests me now that we're in the topic of shoes and feet. I would love to hear your your perspective on training the feet and how that uh, plays a role in the bigger lifts. Absolutely. So, you know, my this is my perspective. There's lots of ways to roam, but uh, the way I look at like assessing the body is usually based on the largest global impact. So, so I like looking at breathing, bracing, and ability to control spinal mechanics is like, let's just throw that all in one pocket. And that's going to have the largest impact on the body. I can't look at shoulder mechanics if I'm kyphotic or extended, like it's going to change dramatically. Same thing happens everywhere else. So unless you're like looking at, if we got this taken care of, we can't go to the next area. The, lar- the next second le- largest impact globally is going to be the foot. It can affect things all through the body. And so it really doesn't matter like when you're performing a lift, your performance day, like what shoe you're wearing, but the better that you can actually control the foot, the better you're going to be able to, and we're talking actively controlling it. So like having the foot rest on like an orthotic, a supportive heel to get it in the right position isn't really teaching. We don't have the same effect as actually controlling and owning that position. Okay. People love to look at knee position going, Oh, that's caving knees out this, that, Oh, we're going valgus again, all these terms is some of there's a range. There's no like, Hey, that's bad. Or this is good. Right. But if we get things in a more, I hate the word to use the word optimal, but, um, the better that we're using our body, the more efficiently that we're using it, the more that we're going to be able to tolerate more load, more frequency, more volume. Mm-hmm. Right. So just like, you know, we can arguably say everything we can adapt to any position we can get stronger. But if I go do a, I'm kind of going on a tangent before I dive a little bit more into foot mechanics. Um, if I say, Hey, we can tolerate any position, then we can say, Oh, well, spinal position has no relevance. And so I may as well just do a Jefferson curl. Well, if I'm training as a strength athlete, the, the goal is to move as much weight on the bar as possible. Mm-hmm. And if I'm training Jefferson curl deadlifts, I'm not going to be able to tolerate very much load frequency or volume. So over a period of time, I'm not going to get much stronger. Mm-hmm. I am going to adapt to those positions and get stronger in that multi-segmental, you know, uprighting that is a Jefferson curl. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyone that isn't familiar with the Jefferson curl, it's not actually a Jefferson deadlift. It's actually curling with the spine. Okay. And so that's where I say it does, it does matter. Right. So we're going to adapt to any position, but at the same time, the better positions that we can be in, the more optimal, the better we're going to be able to get out of our training because I'm going to be more efficient. I'm going to recover better. I'm going to be able to load more frequently. And what's that going to produce? that's going to produce a stronger athlete. Absolutely. Okay. I think, I think it's always important to differentiate between health and performance because that applies also obviously to the topic of biomechanics, but also to the topic of diets. It's something that a lot of people get wrong all the yep. time. Oh, is, is avocado good for you if you're on a diet? Well, yeah, avocado has a high amount of nutrients and it's nutritious. It's a good food for you, but in terms of weight loss and being in a calorie deficit might not be the best food for you because it's packed with calories, right? Sure. So it, it, almost it, exactly. always. That's why one of the 
provide a little context because I actually, uh, I think it's hilarious. I am going to get, but I'm going to get to the shoes here, but at times people will use like things that our coaching staff has said, or your, or you have said on your videos is like trying to create some drama saying, Oh, you guys are saying different things. What, a, who's right. It's like, actually, I'm pretty sure we're actually all, we're on the same page. Yes. We're just looking at things from a different lens. Absolutely. And so I can agree that spinal position, you know, we can, we can manage it in different loads, but there's context around why would we want it to be better if we could be mm -hmm. okay. It's going to allow us to tolerate some more load and adapt better. Mm -hmm. So same thing with uh, downstream, um, the better I can improve things or systems, get it, getting it more efficient. I'm going to be able to tolerate more work. Okay. Now the problem, it comes into a lot of footwear. So we have this uh, elevated heel and the bigger part isn't really the elevated heel. I'm not talking about lifting shoes. I'm talking about general kind of running shoes or most fashion wear. And then we've got the front foot. I don't know if we're, if we're actually recording this video or not, yeah. but the big toe is pulled up and in like this. And, and we've got an elevated heel. So we're kind of opening the foot. If you put your foot down like that and you try to apply pressure, it's going to cave onto the arch. The knee is going to go majorly valgus and you're not going to have much control of that. Now, if I've got control of my foot and I spread my toes and I spread my larger toe and I plant it to the ground and that's all I do, I don't focus on anything else. And I try that same position. You'll find that all of a sudden you've got control of the foot, which then gives you control of the, of the, of, of the knee. So we like to think about this control of the foot and ankle stack and the ability to manage and control those two positions. So foot and ankle. Okay. And that's really, I'm not worried so much about like flat feet, high arches, anything like that. People like to take that as a, I've got a flat foot as a diagnosis. Like it's something that must be fixed. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be fixed. And honestly, in most cases, it's just, that is the shape of your foot. And that is fine. As long as I'm able to control this ankle position over the top of my foot. Okay. So to do that, you actually have to have a strong foot. You actually have, it's an incredibly dense area for muscles, bones, tendons, ligaments, and I'll jump back into analogies again, just for a second, but what would happen, you know, we're all in the fitness realm and we know that, you know, those people at home Depot that wear the belts around their stomach all day long during their shift, that's actually not doing them much benefit as health working in our field. We know that that actually doesn't make their core stronger. It makes it weaker. Mm -hmm. We've bound it up. We've eliminated their ability to use it correctly. And then we've actually stopped them from bracing effectively mm -hmm. to support the load. They're relying on this passive constraint. Mm -hmm. So if you're wearing shoes that are constantly doing the same thing to our foot, we're not able to strengthen the foot and use it naturally. Mm -hmm. We're actually teaching those structures not to work. And just those minute changes of just like one toe position can really affect it. So I highly encourage like no matter what you wear, like even Olympic lifters have to wear Olympic shoes, mm -hmm. but it's good to spend time outside of shoes and actually train the foot. It is your base of support. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's still working even when it's in the shoe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so Chris, you, you, uh, you have this, this new company called, uh, barefoot athletics. 
Yes. That uh, I think you're probably going to get into in a sec, but I was just interested to know what, how actually the shoe helps you uh, develop a stronger foot and yep. uh, do things like that. Because I've seen all sorts of funky, uh, you know, shoes in the past. You know, the ones from uh, Seinfeld, the <laughs> with the big thing in the front. They're supposed to help you jump higher and all sorts of stuff like that. But uh, I know that you're very evidence based, so I'm really interested to hear, you know. How you yeah. got to the conclusion that this is the optimal shoe for also, that? Also, so, before you before you get rolling, um, can you also include in your answer? Because all of this sounds theoretically, uh, you know, makes sense theoretically to me. But what does the research actually say? And in improving the strength of the foot, the arch of the foot, and the muscles of the foot, what kind of differences can we see in terms of performance? Because mm-hmm. just for me thinking about it, you know, it obviously it does make sense. But I wonder if the the benefits are or the changes or the effect is negligible or if it's something that you can, you know, it's pretty tangible and and, and yep. significant. So some of those pieces, there's not research on. It is theoretical, but there is some research on other pieces. And so I'll just dive into because a lot of people we're starting. What's the research on the fact that we should have shoes? How's that? or that we should have orthotics, okay? The supportive structure is going to actually improve us. A meta-analysis of all studies on orthotics demonstrate that there is zero long-term effect for the use of them in actually reducing pain and reducing issues that are going on. It's a short period of time that it alleviates short pain, okay? So there's a period of time for those if you're like, got some massive foot pain you're trying to get through the day and it's a matter of basically weeks and I don't remember where it is but you know it's somewhere in beyond like eight weeks they're doing nothing and so as a whole there's really actually no scientific evidence supporting that the shoes are doing anything positive for us or definitely orthotics right and uh, so all I'm trying to do is create a shoe that gets us to a natural state. We're actually removing the shoe itself. Okay. So we're getting the body to its natural state, just like taking a restrictive belt off all day long and allowing the core to work. That's it. So, so that's where some of the studies come in that I I don't have anything to reference there. All I can say is there's no proof that that a shoe is actually doing anything. And all the things that we're adding on on there are actually continue add-ons to try to fix the issues from having this elevated and pulled toe position. Okay. So, and I don't need a study if I can grab somebody and demonstrate that physically with their toe position and immediately see an effect. Of course. Okay. Now, can I say it's going to add 10 percent to your squat? I hope so. No, (laughs) that's why I said, uh, some people are still going to lift, lift more with a restrictive lifter on. If it does, go wear it. Mm-hmm. But all I'm saying is if there's some part of your body that could be stronger and build a better base for you and you've got an opportunity to train it a little bit, why not? Right. I think also what? a huge part of what you're saying and a huge part of the benefit, I would guess, is bringing awareness to that body part, to that area, because people yes, are, are yeah. so detached to their bodies, especially beginner lifters. They don't know how to, proprioception's really bad. They don't know how to orient themselves in space. You can see that they can't organize their spine or their pelvis or even their upper back and obviously their feet even. 
I'm sure yeah. they don't know how to how to appropriately um, brace their foot and activate the foot and and engage the foot during mm-hmm. a lift. So I think just the sole act of bringing awareness to that body part, I'm sure it's yeah. incredibly beneficial. Yeah, and actually there is some research on nociception, and there's a, an immediate improvement in nociception uh, uh, with the foot upon removal of shoes. Um, so that's like I said, there's bits and pieces all over. I work with a lot of people in that field. And so a lot of my reliance is off of the work that they've done. And so all I'm trying to do is with barefoot athletics, we just have a shoe that's got a really simple sole that allows the, it's, it's kind of like a moccasin. We're trying to, what we're trying to do is the intent of shoes is to protect us from the environment. It's a valuable thing. You don't want to go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. definitely not a public bathroom, you know, without shoes on, you don't want to walk across hot pavement. It's going to burn your feet. You're not going to want to walk across gravel. You're going to end up with cuts. Like there's a reason for shoes. Like they're very valuable. And so um, if we think though, like, oh, well, that's kind of like what a moccasin or early, any early society shoes are kind of based off is just creating some protection from the environment. And a lot of those actually still allowed the foot to move. So uh, the barefoot athletics Ursus shoe has a really wide splay in it that allows the foot because under load, uh, we find that the, the foot actually splays quite a bit, okay? And so even a lot of current barefoot style shoes out there are still kind of restrictive a little bit in uh, in that area of the shoe. And so we've got a little bit wider on there just to allow us to do that under load and then have that minimal sole wear just to allow the foot to move so that, um, because I found in my experience, I've spent the last five years basically being barefoot. And during that time, my strength has gone up. My control of movement has gone up. Um, and, and my feet are actually jacked. I mean, I can visibly see the difference. I can see the changes. Anybody that spends more than a year or so out of, out of shoes will find that their foot actually widens and they actually develop a lot more muscle in areas of their, their foot. So anybody can see any of my videos, they can see my squatting. I've got an incredibly flat foot, mm-hmm. but you'll never ever watch my ankle you can see it all because I don't wear shoes. You can see my ankle over foot relationship never gives ever because I've got a lot of strength there. What, uh, what sent you down this path? What got you thinking about the foot and, and ways that it could Im- improve your performance? Uh, good question. I, I thought it was more just in the last like five years when I went fully barefoot, but people reminded me that I've been messing around with uh, different shoe designs back into the early 2000s. Wow. I used to deadlift with like a custom pair of uh, a Chuck Taylors that I had widened in the front. I had a reverse rake uh, inside of it. So my heel was like almost completely on the ground. And like, I, I've been kind of playing with it for a while. And, but uh, about 10 years ago, I got introduced to dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, just some developmental kinesiology uh, approach. And they did a lot of work on the foot. And when I started playing with uh, a number of those techniques, I started seeing immediate improvements in my lifts. So, um, <clears throat> and I just went down that path. One, my feet are also super wide to begin with. So I've always struggled to fit in any shoes anyway. And so at that time, I was like, okay, I'm just going to start training. I basically live in, I'm either in the gym or in my house. I own both places. And so to say I'm shoeless isn't like if I'm out in public or traveling, I've got shoes on. Um, 
But a lot of times it was flip-flops so that I could take them off immediately. Walk into a bathroom, take my flip-flops off when I get back. <laughs> um, you know, so, so I ended up spending a lot of the time over that period of time. And then my, my foot is actually continued to reform and to the point now that I, I can't fit into standard footwear at all. Wow. Uh, but I wouldn't go back because it's just, yes, I have clown hobbit feet. It's okay. <laughs> they, they are. I'm picturing, I'm them, picturing but hands but on the end of your legs right clown now. Clown hobbit feet, mind you. So, <laughs> what did you say, Hayden? I said I'm picturing hands on the end of your legs right now. <laughs> it, it is kind of that way. So, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, I went down that path just to start improving my own lifting, and then I started suggesting it to other people and. I started getting a lot of feedback from people going, Oh wow, this, you know, the back pain that I've been dealing with the knee pains, like a lot of the just like aches and pains in my body have gone away, particularly like a lot of, uh, gym owners that I know that have been around a long time that are around my age, they're in their gym and they don't, they'd be able to go shoeless doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And they just found that just, they started feeling better. A lot of the stuff through their body. Uh, and, and, uh, that's, that's really what started me kind of on that path. And so, you know, we do a lot of work. So we teach it, shoot, shoes on, shoes off, doesn't matter. Okay. But because the concepts you can still put in place on how we actually engage and manage that foot and ankle complex. Okay. It's just like teaching someone how to brace. If they've had no awareness, they're just standing on their feet. They're, and that's what a lot of people are. They just have no awareness because that the foot's been wrapped in this shoe and so on. And like Stephanie was saying, you know, how much of the benefits are just coming from the improved proprioception, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The, the ability, ah, I'm aware of my foot. I'm aware of what it's doing. Mm -hmm. There's a big part of that. We'll have like lifters, if they've had no awareness, like if we've done an assessment. So we do, we do like doing our assessments with shoes off because you can actually see the intricacies. Oh, hey, Toes are picking up. That tells us what's going on in the body. We see a little bit of roll in the foot, in or out. We can we can put some uh, bands under the foot and see where they've got gaps in pressure. Like all this stuff is really easy to do when you don't have a shoe on. Mm -hmm. And go, hey, okay, you're gonna wear shoes. That's fine. Let's just spend a little time doing your accessories with no shoes. Let's do a few of your warm ups or your body weight. Let's do some goblet shots with no shoes. Bring awareness. Start focusing on these positions. Put your shoes on. Okay. So that's, <clears throat> that's really my belief. So I'm not like, you know, stuck in like, everybody's got to go barefoot in like any of this, like it, no, all I'm saying is spend some time, be aware of your feet, learn how to control them. And if we're losing that control, get, go back to ground zero and figure out why, because if you, if you don't have good pressure going all the way through that foot, hitting those three main points of contact, ability to control whether you've got a flat or high arch, and they're going to be different styles of what you need to focus on, depending on which one of those you have, um, but be able to control that foot and ankle stack and teaching the awareness of that. And as you do that, you'll end up finding that you're actually working the muscles in that area and you get a stronger foot and then you get a stronger foundation. And yeah, I don't, I don't run any research studies myself, <laughs> but uh, we very consistently see enhanced performance from that. Is it removal of the shoe? Maybe. Is it the coaching? Maybe. Is it a combination of those? Probably. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we might might and as again, well uh, check off that box if you if you have the the option to, right? So exactly. That, and then our athletes that perform higher, they go right back in their lifters. Mm-hmm. If you squat more in lifters, where are your lifters? Mm-hmm. Like right. it's not rocket science. And I mean, you know what? I can probably predict what the research is going to say. There's going to be some research studies that say it makes no difference, and some research studies that are going to say that it makes a, a, a moderate difference, and then some studies that say it makes a huge difference. That's yep. that's the general case with everything. So exactly. it, it always, no matter what research is behind it, I feel like it's use. You still have to try it yourself and see if the, if it's making if it's a net positive exactly. for the, you. Exactly, the individual effects of uh, fitness and strength and conditioning are so much that it, it's it's worth experimenting and trying. Okay, you know I'm going to try doing my my accessories barefoot. I'm going to try doing my lifts barefoot and see what that does to me personally. I don't think there's yeah. any harm in doing so. And the mechanism, honestly, I don't care. If it helps yeah. someone, it helps someone. If it doesn't help someone, then move on to the next yeah. thing. That's kind of like how I think about about fitness and strength and conditioning. Yeah. I just thought it was really eye opening though when I started working with a number of podiatrists that had spent their time in school, they'd gotten out and spent a bunch of time, you know, working through the years. We're talking about like, they're sending people in to get, you know, their feet cut up, you know, to remove tendons so they can get, you know, bunions taken, all this stuff. And, and then actually started integrating like physical therapy approaches and then looking at the research. And that's where I, I found out about the, the individuals that have gone in and done the meta meta analysis on orthotics. And I'm like, so there's an entire industry that has no real, like backing to it. not talking podiatry, but I'm talking about the manufacturers of the orthotic industry. Like we're not talking about like just standard, like in shoes, but the people that are using it as a passive modality to fix issues. And I think there is still a, a place for that, but we need to understand where it is. Let's get people out of pain. Okay. Now let's start actually working on doing some therapy with the foot and trying to get it working properly. And you know, if you've got a massive bunion because your toes been pulled in for a long time, let's work on trying to like fix that manually before we jump to a knife. Right, but that's exactly the that's issue. Kind of stuff that we do in every other area of the body, right? But that's exactly the issue. The word work. People yeah. don't want to work. People just want chop my bunion off and, <laughs> and, you know, give me a pill that's going to get rid of my pain. And that's I what know, people that want. I know, that is so true. It's crazy. <laughs> I, 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 I still have, you know, old friends that have been around for a long time. They know me and they know I say, oh, yeah, Chris, you know, does some stuff with movement. And, hey, I've hurt my back and I'm going in to get it cut up. I'm like, have you gone through this process? Oh, no. But they know what they're like. Can you please just <laughs> No, they're going to fuse it. It's going to be fine. Just type in spinal fusion in Google. Okay. Just do that for me until, you know, like, yeah. like, please, but it's, uh, they're going to do what they're going to do, you know, Unfortunately, yeah. to, to speak on the shoes, since I, I had some personal experience with them. I, uh, well, first of all, I, I love that you're, you're open to people just doing what works best for them. I think a lot of people, they get too far down into, you know, they're selling this for someone else might sell a barefoot style shoe and say that everyone needs to do this and you're not going to be successful unless you wear this shoe. So I love, I love your approach, uh, in that it's just, you know, checking off all the boxes that you can possibly check off. And then from, uh, I used them for deadlift the other day. And I think what most people are looking for in a deadlift shoe is just as close as you can get to barefoot while still be legal in, in competition. And what was great about that shoe is that it's sort of like a mix between the deadlift slipper and uh like 
almost like a, a converse, but with an even thinner sole. So you don't get the ugly aesthetic of like a deadlift slipper and you don't have to wear like some high top space boot. And, but, but you, you also don't need to worry about your feet sliding around. Cause especially if you're somebody who pulls sumo, that's the hardest thing about finding a shoe, right? Is like, how do you keep that thing on your freaking foot when you're, you have all that pressure pushing yep. out? But I, I love that, uh, in addition to that, you're saying that something that we should not just apply only to deadlift, but to everything. So I'm going to try running in them. We've been doing, we've been running every day, just trying to be healthy. So, uh, let, let, let's talk about that with the running for a second though. Um, you know, I think this is an area. So we were talking about before the show started about vibrant five fingers. Right. And, you know, they came on the market. What was it like 10 years ago? And they said, barefoot is the only way it's the best way. And everybody needs to go out running with barefoots, you know, with our vibrams. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's a little bit of like education that needs to go with this. And that is if you haven't used your foot, much and you're actually now going to like use it and control it and train it. You're going to apply some stresses to it. Hey, I'm going to go run with it. You know, whatever it is, it's, you don't just walk into the gym and squat 500 pounds. I was going to say, sure. You you start with 135, you start with, (laughs) you know, and you build up. So, so don't go out and go for a 10 mile run. Okay. So same thing. If you're, if you're switching entire, if you're just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to buy those and just wear them all day. Try wearing them for 10% of your day to start with. Do that for a week, then go to 25%. Okay. It's, it is, it's training. This is what people kind of miss. Like you, you're you're not going to just go full effort and just nail it. And that's where all of a sudden people started getting injured wearing the Vibrams. Well, they went from a high elevated heel to going out and just going, Oh, I'm going to throw these on and I'm going to go run. Cause again, these are runners. So they're running 10, 15, 20 miles on a, uh, on part of their body that they haven't really used. And now they're using everything all the way through to the toes, right? The, the arch, the, the, the support of the arch and all the muscles in there and the, well, the, the fascia in there, uh, you know, supporting that, like it, you have to adapt to changes. Of this course. is, this uh, is very basic strength training, right? I'm so and glad th- you said that. And that's really what killed them in the market. Well, no, not not just for me, but I think our, our demographics in general, they're, they're very much all or nothing type people. You know? They want to do everything it, they can to get the most out of whatever they're using. So they're going to throw those shoes on yeah, or, or, and, and go run a marathon. But you know yeah. what happens? Especially like, with- oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go throw them on in my max and I'm going to go max out on squatting for the first time. Like, well- especially if you've been wearing lifters, like that's a completely different squat. I highly suggest that you don't do that. Yeah. yeah like, that sense. Let's, let's acclimate, do, do your, like I said, do your warm ups. do your accessories, do whatever. Like this is strength training. Like you're not just going to bop in and go, I'm going to squat 500 pounds on my first day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's <laughs> that, like, that, yeah. That's not going to end up so well. <laughs> well that's so funny. Uh, Chris, I wanted to, to move on to Kabuki strength lab. Yeah. Now, I feel like you wear so many different hats. You're an inventor. You have a manufacturing company. A scientist. You're lifting way more than any human being should. You have audio books, taking whiskey shots and doing deadlifts. When you come through the doors at Kabuki Strength, what do you see? Because I'm, I'm picturing a bunch of jack scientists in like sleeveless lab coats, you know, with test <laughs> tubes. I don't know if that's the reality I, of just, the situation. Yeah, that's what it looks like. That's I a good image. I definitely hear about it. <laughs> 
Well, we'll do a virtual walkthrough. So one, the gym is open to anyone and uh, we do tours of the manufacturing facility as well. So anybody that's ever in the area, you've got a question, just you know, swing on by. You can set up a meeting with our staff if you want. Um, but the first thing you come in is, you know, all our staff offices, uh, customer service, our sales folks, our, our, our coaching staff. Although our coaching staff kind of comes and goes as they want. They work from home some days. They, who knows, sometimes they're there till 10 or 12 o'clock at night. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> um, then the first side is just the gym. You walk out and you have no idea there's anything else going on. We've got a big, massive gym with all of our equipment in there. Uh, but we've leased the other half of the, this large uh, industrial facility. In. And then you go through another set of doors. You've got our shipping and receiving department back there with a couple people packaging up all the barbells, managing inventory. Go through another door and then you open into this really large manufacturing space with CNC machines and welders and a little bit of robotics and all sorts of stuff going on. And uh, my toys that are stuffed in the back because I'm not working on them right now. Uh, so it's, uh, for me, it's just a virtual playland. So, um, we call it the biggest gym full of nerds. Cause that's, <laughs> we are definitely lifting nerds. Like there's no, and, and I think both of you probably fall in that same uh, category <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what it is. We love what we're doing and always trying to figure out, uh, different ways to do, uh, to be better and look at things. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, as a manufacturer, we look at things very different than any other company out there. So, um, not to throw everybody in the same bucket, but you know, most people that are running an equipment manufacturing uh, operation, they're looking at the market and they're trying to find what's selling. Can we make that too? We'll sell it. And we think of ourselves as an education company first. So we believe and, you know, a process for, you know, how we, how we apply loading to the body, how the body moves, all these sorts of things. And, and we produce a lot of content. We coach people, we work with teams, we do all this stuff on the educational side. And then from that same lens, we look at the industry and go, what is missing? And that's where we end up coming up with kind of innovative tools or different ways. It looks like a similar tool, but it's getting entirely different results because it's, we're looking at it from that educational perspective of, of how we look at movement, how we look at loading and then develop designs of, you know, gaps that we see in the industry. And so this is, this is my big belief. Um, I believe that where training is going or needs to go and we're not talking like specifically like powerlifting training, but training of the masses in general. Okay. We need to be looking at being able to accommodate to the variability of the lifter, their unique leverages, their unique mobility restrictions, their differences in heights, all these sorts of things to opt to get them in the right positions for success. It's just like, <clears throat> And so we need to be able to rapidly accommodate for that. And that's where, that's where I think that the industry is going to end up going instead of stuffing everybody, everybody needs to do a back squat. Well, there's some people that just are never going to get in good position 
And we, we look at like NBA players on Instagram doing, uh, right. doing back squats. Everybody's aha, it's half, it's half depth or whatever knees cave in. And I'm like, have you ever worked with those people? Cause I, I have, <laughs> and without like some of them because of femur length, torso length, all this sort of stuff, they're never going to get in good position without compromising technique with a bar specifically placed in that location. Yes. I think everyone should be able to squat, but does that mean that they need to do it with a bar in this place on their back? No, we need load somewhere. Some axial loading of the torso. doesn't matter how we get there, but that's the benefit. Now, now we're going to use the hips, you know, we're going to go into full flexion and then we're going to extend. Okay. Through a base of support, uh, on the ground. Like these are the things that are going to carry over to athleticism on the court. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so it's, that's where like the, the differences and stuff that you see that we produce and like why we don't like produce racking yet or things like that, because we want to take that same concept through that through that approach. You know, if I walk into a, a college weight room, there's going to be the, the coaches are going to be there working with 75 to hundred football players. And they're all going to be lined up based on their height, trying to work loads similar to each other. So they don't have to change the weights as much, even though they're completely different squatters. Some are going to be lifting off on their toes. Some are going to be struggling with shoulder position because they can't get in position around the rack. And so like that's, where I would like to see some changes going at setting people up for success. Mm-hmm. And, and we need some variability and, and accommodation in the equipment that we're getting, that we're training with, instead of saying, here is a bar. It's been around forever. We can do every lift in the world with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just touched on such an important point. I love where you're going with this. Um, especially now that we're talking about education, so many people are, so many people are teaching about squat, squat bench deadlift. And I mean, that's great. You know, at least they're, they're bringing some awareness to, uh, strength sports, but the importance of individual variability in lifting and the importance of understanding biomechanics, body proportions, goals, all these different aspects that play a role in human performance is the most important part of coaching. Yeah. There's not a certain style of squat because there's some, some educational platforms out there. They like teach Here's how we do it. Well, there's principles that, 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 uh, that we're trying to get from doing this movement and everybody's squats actually going to be a little bit different based on, you know, (laughs) everybody, everybody's hip capsules are different. Uh, some are different from left to right. Like there, there, there's so many of these other variables and we can still hit the same principles, but like saying, here is the squat style that we're going to do like that. That's you're never going to end there because you're trying to, again, stuff everybody's body into this same system. And it isn't going to like, it isn't necessarily going to hurt people, but it's certainly going to increase some risk. Uh, especially as we add loading volume frequency on top of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we may not be able to get the best, uh, you know, training response that we can from them either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, that's just, I'm really passionate about it. And I, I just see like so many antiquated pieces of, uh, well, I've been in, I've been training since the eighties, but, uh, it's, it's getting better. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Um, uh, but I think it still has a long ways to go. It is. And, and honestly, beyond that is the impossibility of getting someone into a certain position. You, you bring up the squat, but in a movement that's even more apparent is in the sumo deadlift. 
Like, good luck trying to put someone with a perfectly vertical torso and their and their knees perpendicular to the floor with their feet angled at 45 degrees. Good luck, man. Like, not everyone has the proportions of Yuri Belkin or me. Yep. It's just well, the just way like it is. like my squat, everybody looks at my upright torso and like, how do I do that? Like, you cannot. Yeah, you probably well, you don't. you can't do that. You're probably, <laughs> most people are actually going to have to have more forward lean than they think yeah. to accomplish a squat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if we understand the principles, okay, we want to stabilize and load this area. We want to actually load it. We want to control it. Okay. Now we want to take these, you know, uh, use our hips and start training them through extension. Like, uh, anyway, yeah. it's, I, I blame it on the Chinese weightlifters. They just look so damn good squatting high bar ass to grass with, <laughs> with those upright torsos. Everyone wants yeah. to look like that. Well, that, and that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing to note too, because you will see large populations do certain styles, mm -hmm. but oftenly, oftentimes that is because of a, a, a similar cultural, not cultural, but, um, anthropomorphic. Yes. Background. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things I learned from uh, Stu McGill is that's actually how they used to uh, find out somebody's ba uh, ethnic background mm -hmm. was actually looking at the hip structure of skeletons because you could see the differences. This is why we have Muay Thai fighters that, you know, from certain regions, they're not great sprinters. Okay. We have uh, Scottish games comes out of, you know, Northern Europe with really strong, but short hip capsules. They're not doing a very full range of motion. Um, so we see sports actually kind of tied to different areas based on their genetic advantages, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean everybody in that background has that same, but you will see much more of that. And that's why you'll see, well, the Chinese weightlifters are doing this. So we need to do it. This is the best style because they're doing so well. It's Darwinism. But it doesn't at its mean finest. everybody can do that. <laughs> it's Darwinism at its finest. It's yeah. sports, natural selection. Yep. So just because they're doing it, you try to take a, a group of uh, people from another population and try to get them all in those positions. You may be able to do it for a while. Some of them just won't be able to do it. And then you're going to end up with a massive amount of injuries because they can't move in the same ways and same manner as those individuals are. Absolutely. So you, you spoke about some of your frustrations with, with this. Uh, did you have... I know you have, you have a pretty extensive product line now, but I'm curious to know if there was some sort of blaring issue in the industry that bothered you so much that you created your first product. And yeah, what, what was, was the first product? product? Very first product was the shoulder rock. That's what actually what we have on the... Yeah. I, I was so, between the shoulder rock and the duffalo bar. I thought it was, it was going to be one or the other. Yep. And the duffalo bar was six months later is our second product. Yeah. Have used and loved them both. <laughs> they're they're fantastic and uh they're really basic like uh, the shoulder rock is it is a i, I love people going oh that's just a copy of a indian mace i'm like yeah it is well <laughs> traditionally known as a gata uh dates back to at least 500 uh, years ago but up to 5000 depending on uh depending on the research that you do <laughs> i'm like that, 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 that is a hundred percent correct. I hate when people do um, that because that. it's like, I hate that so much. well, nobody's allowed to make squat racks because squat, a squat rack exists. Dude, right? I posted I, <laughs> yesterday, I posted a, a sissy squat and I was like, whoever can do more weight, I call it the Cohen challenge, tag me and I'll send you a free gear. And I got like 500 comments being like, you didn't invent the sissy squat. I'm like, I didn't, what? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, yeah, it's like you, you I'm like, I never said I did. I, I've taken actually what is what we, as far as I know, is the oldest known weighted training tool. 
And that's probably been around for centuries because it works. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, to use them effectively, you have to have this really long lever because it's about this balancing of both, not just like being the the contractile part, it's actually the relaxation phase that actually creates the magic. And you have to have this really long lever or, you know, these jack people that we put it in their hands are just going to treat it like a kettlebell halo. They're going to go through a movement that looks similar (laughs) <laughs> but, but not actually get a lot of the benefits from it. So you have this long lip and that, and so, and classically the Gata has been around 44 to 49 inches and you've got to be in that range to actually get it to where you have to relax. But when you have that really long range, you have to have a bunch of them because every pound or two makes a huge difference. Yeah. Right. And so to promote it, I'd be saying, okay, everybody needs to become a mace training center and get 20 maces. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, we've got a little bit of, you know, changes that have happened in technology. So I'm going to make one that's got better materials, better balance. Uh, We can add some knurling on the handle and we can make it micro loadable doing the plates that are out there. And uh, so it's a nice and convenient. You got one tool and there you go. Chris, have you seen uh, our buddy Ian, the rhino, using your mace? Um, yes, say, I have. Yes. It's insane. He puts on his headphones, stands in front of the mirror, <laughs> puts a million pounds on that thing, and just like... <laughs> that's his face. One time there was a girl, Rachel Bassinet. She was training for what was it, an international Pan, weightlifting. Pan-American Pan American games. games. And she's about to hit a, a one kilo or two kilo snatch PR. The entire gym is silent. <laughs> We're all kind of like looking. She's preparing. And here comes Ian walking in the middle of the gym doing that thing like this. <laughs> Through the middle of the gym, I'm like, Ian, are you absolutely out of your mind, dude? This is the worst thing you could be doing in front of this girl that's trying to max out her snatch. <laughs> Just totally oh, unaware. He's hilarious. I, I hate those distractions like that when you're going for something big. It's so disrespectful. <laughs> the disrespect. And it is so distracting. So distracting. It is. Like you're trying to be in your headspace. Like I just want to be here. It's different when you show up to competition because you know There's it doesn't matter be what anybody's doing in the crowds camp. Like you're you're in your zone, but in the gym it's 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 different. Yeah. Uh, Somebody walks up and standing right in front of you to squat, even if it's like know. 40 feet away. Yeah. yeah hey, for, like, for anyone listening, Jim like, all I can think about is that person over there. <laughs> yes. For and anyone listening, do, do not do that. Don't stand in front of me. Don't look at me in the eyes. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye sure. contact. Yeah. Don't do anything weird while I'm lifting. Just stand <laughs> far away from me. I love it. I'll have like 900 to a thousand pounds, like loaded up on the bar and literally be getting ready to wrap my knees. And like some, some traveling person will come in and they'll come up. Hey, Chris, I just want to talk. And I'm like, ah, give me 30 minutes. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to finish this. I'm not being rude, but like I need space right now. (laughs) Chris, my, my all time absolute favorite video in lifting all time is the video of you when the uh, you're trying to rack on the on the monolift and uh-huh. something happens you couldn't get one side in your spotters don't help you and the entire bar falls on one side and then on the other side and then falls off uh-huh. the rack and your face is just like what the fuck you're so and then, pissed. then all the bars start following <laughs> like it yeah. just never it never, it never ends. ends it's a domino effect the entire gym's just falling apart around you no you know what's another funny one i'm pretty sure this was you where and everyone's been in this situation where you're just you're people are trying to help and they're they're trying to hype you up 
and like tell you cues and it's just not the you're just you're not you just don't want it and i'm pretty sure it was you there's a video you're squatting and the people are they're trying to encourage you or they're they're giving you a cue and you're just like shut the hell up (laughs) i took some i took some shit about that video (laughs) online because people didn't understand the content like i was yelling at my training partner who i he's my business partner uh rudy you know, we share an office together. We've been working together, launching Kabuki, like all this sort of stuff. Um, and people miss like, you know, when people are out there yelling cues, like they're not really, they're doing it because they're just trying to yell some encouragement. So yeah. it's right. like, stay tight, yeah, yeah, you know, big air, like, but it doesn't, you know, and uh, I really don't like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody that works with me day in and day out kind of knows that, but Rudy will come out and he gets nervous. Like when I'm lifting and he just, and so, yeah, it was like some big PR I was going for. And I go to unrack and Rudy's like, stay tight. And I'm like, <laughs> you think I'm not just trying to stay tight right now. Oh, I thought <laughs> I had like, to relax and be all yeah. loosey goosey. Yeah. We're up, uh, up and squeeze. Yeah. I'm going to start, ones. I'm going to start yelling ridiculous things. <laughs> I don't know what yet, but I'm going to come up with something. Anything. Anything. Yeah. Anything. But it, hey, yeah. Anyway, so I, 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 I yell at him because <laughs> yeah. he's done the same thing like the last like three or four sessions. And I keep telling him not to. And he kind of did the same thing again. <laughs> and, uh, That's so funny. And so, but, but nobody understood that. And they thought I was just like yelling at some random person coming in the gym trying to like, give me <laughs> oh, motivation. No. And I'm just being a dick. And, you know, and I'm like, no, this is an interaction between me and my friend. Like, <laughs> it's sad that you don't have to explain yourself to these people. So, <laughs> such is the internet. I try not to. It's so hard sometimes, though. So, you do a great job at it, by the way. Yeah, you you also have the the loyal fans that just roast people for you now, which is nice. Dude, That's loyal, a nice thing. The loyal fans are amazing. <laughs> yep. I sometimes yeah, just that, reply, "You're about to get roasted," and then 100 comments are like people <laughs> just roasting that person. It's my favorite. <laughs> that is a good thing to have. I I, I have that to some uh, a small level compared to you. Uh, so. <laughs> no, it's always handy. I'm also interested in, I mean, you're just talking about you're going for a big attempt. Um, what, what is your, tr- your motivation for training so hard now? Because you're, you are obviously training very hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> is it just because you want to test out your products under like the most in- intense circumstances possible? Or is there another motivation for that? Yeah. So, um, so let's give a, a little background. So I started lifting in 1988, started powerlifting in 2000. Uh, somewhere in there before retiring in two. So I retired in 2016. Uh, and like that 10 years, almost a decade leading into that, I was ranked number one in the world for some category or another, like straight, not near as well as Steph is like a fraction of uh, how great she is. But, um, after all that time, I just, I, I needed to reframe a lot of things in my life. And so there was a big transition. I actually ended up going through, it wasn't public, but I went through a divorce at that time. I was found in Kabuki strength and uh, just a lot of changes. And I decided to retire from powerlifting because I was doing it at that point. I was only doing it because people expected me to do it. And I'm like, I, I, it felt like a job. It wasn't fun anymore. And I'm like, I, I just want to, at this point, I've spent my time I want to do what excites me and I also want to reframe it. So I started tying these, like they're more feats of strength. 
So that way I could like explore more than just a one lift. And basically it's a process of learning for me. So when I put myself through these incredible stressful periods of time, I can take the research, the knowledge, all this other stuff, but actually learn and feel it and put myself in a situation where there's no way out. Like where I squatted 800 pounds every single day for 30 days. That was insane. Like you, if you've got a problem going on, you got to fix it like right now, like in the next couple hours or you, this whole, you know, it's just going to cascade. You're going to get run over by a train. If I come into the next session and you know, I'm limping along and got an issue, like it's just going to go downhill super fast. So, and it's just putting myself in this environment where there's just, I, I learned so much in the process. Um, and, uh, and then also combining that with raising money for charities and things that I believe in. So anybody that's read my book, uh, the Eagle and the dragon will know that I've had some pretty traumatic stuff happen in my life. And so you'll notice all these fundraisers are for, um, either, uh, a lot of homeless mothers, um, uh, sexually abused, uh, children, um, things of, things of that nature. Um, I do a little bit. We, we don't, uh, raise funds for the special Olympics anymore, but we, uh, we do training uh, with all them here uh, every week. Actually, it's pretty fun, um, uh, to support that. So it's really just kind of an outlet to be able to use my platform to support those causes while I do them. And so the biggest goal that I had when I did it, I set out, I called it the grand goals campaign. I'm wearing my grand goals shirt today. Um, but, uh, I didn't really say what the entire grand goals campaign was when I did. I said, I'm going to go for a thousand pound deadlift and a thousand pound squat. Well, my goal was to be the first person to ever do those for reps. And so I did the deadlift uh, for almost three reps uh, three years ago. And then the rest of the training, if you notice, it's still, there've been different feats, squatting, deadlifting, but it's all about been increasing my ability to tolerate axial load. And so now we're at the final phase, which is now to squat a thousand pounds for reps. And I think you did for two, right? Yeah. So yeah, I gotta be, it was like a, I, I, I like to, even in my final couple years of competing, I hated like saying what my goals were to the public, like, cause they're, they're mine. Right. And so like, I would go, I wouldn't even tell people I'd do a competition and then I'd show up in Australia and <laughs> do something or it, it just, <laughs> I just show up and do it. And I'd like quit posting my training at like a month out from meet. So people couldn't see what I was doing. It's just a personal thing. And, uh, but this time around, I'm like, okay, people are going to figure out I'm going for more than a single for squats right now. So I may as well, I may as well, may as well lay this out here. Um, does that help you? And adding uh, like so a little bit of pressure. What's that hidden? Does that help you to add a little bit of external pressure like that? Put your goals out there and, and now, you know, people are expecting you to, to do this thing. Um, yes, it does, but it, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a, a, a good thing for me or not. Um, I, 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 I operate very much internally. And so I really just like having that in my head, what I'm going for, but I needed to, you know, I needed to throw it out there. Cause people be like, what are you doing? Right. You're clearly strong enough. Like when I was going for the deadlift at the end, people were like, uh, you're, you're strong enough to pull that anytime. Why aren't you doing it? And I just didn't answer, but I figured I, I should this time. So, um, so this is like my last big feat of strength. And so I'll be about 43 years old when I do this. 
And so we talk about learning. So I'm, I'm a big guy, but not a really big guy. So I'm walking around about 280, 285 pounds right now. A lot of people would say Everybody that's else, a, a really big guy. Done these. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're 380 to 440, right? Okay. And the deadlift, the same thing. And so the training is very, and I know Steph understands the frequency that's got to happen when you're a little bit lighter. Like you just got to get stronger, which means you got to train heavy more frequently than other people. Mm-hmm. And so here's the learning process I'm going through right now. I'm squatting right now an average load of 950 plus pounds per session for, uh, for eight reps, every session, every week. In the last two months, I've squatted over 400 kilos, I think about 80 times. So that's insane. How many times per week do you squat? What's that? How many times per week do you squat? Uh, just once right now. When I did the deadlift, I was doing it twice a week. Uh, but as I've gotten older, so I just, I, I've tried to bring it in a little bit. Um, and I, and I haven't been successful. It was twice a week until recently. Uh, but the second session was belt squats because I was still just trying to put on a little bit more hypertrophy going into the, the last phases. And now everything, it sounds really minimal, but like that load at oh, that frequent see. with that volume, well, one, nobody's ever done that. Like it is so hard and so challenging. Like every part of my body is sore. Like I just, like my lats are so sore from training. It feels like I did a three hour, like, work out of rows and pull-ups. Like it's just nuts. My traps are sore. My biceps are sore. My chest is just the, the breathing and expanding. Like I'm having to do uh, soft tissue work on, on my, on my pecs just to keep them free so I can breathe appropriately. My triceps are sore. Like everything is sore because you have to manage and stabilize and hold those positions. And when we're talking about reps, it's actually a lot harder than a single because that those loads, a triple takes me just, just squatting time, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stand there for stupid long periods of time before I squat too. But, uh, so <laughs> there's, there's five or 10 seconds of me just standing there before I squat. I just, I don't know what it is. I got to feel like my breathing stabilize and just like be ready. Yeah, and ready. Uh, I think too many people rush it. I think I'm going a little bit overboard with not rushing it, but, um, I figure that's better than rushing it. That's another cue. Take your time. It's yeah. actually not that hard <laughs> to stand with a load on your back. If you're locked in, yeah. unfortunately, most people, when they walk out are in a semi squat position, they're unhinged at the whip hips, they're unhinged at the knees. And so they're actually really holding that load than just like standing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, little tangent there. But uh, that's where I talk about the process of learning because, like, there's no playbook to go by. Like, I thought I would be squatting, like, three times a week when we got to this. When we built the training plan a year ago and we kept bringing it down, bringing it in, and it would just keep running into pitfalls every time I tried to shorten it up. And that was based on prior experience, but just not where, where I'm at. So, um, but, yeah, that's – when you're in that situation, like – I'm using all the tools, all the knowledge, everything I've got on rehab and recovery, like every day. And when you're that close to the line of failure, that's when you find out like something that you may have done, taken you like three to six months of using in your program go, oh, that's working or it's not. Like you find out so quick, mm-hmm. maybe a day or two or a week. And you're like, yep, 
that's just, that's the money trick. I need to, I need to have that in. I need to focus on that. Like, cause you feel it so instantaneous. Cause you're just, you're right there. For sure. And so Steph, I know you're the same as me. Like the, there's, you gotta be smart. You've got to research the stuff. You've got to understand the theory. You've got to do all this, but at the same time, if you're only in the books, you can never know what it's like to actually do a weight cut. Absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. can go, you need to cut your water at this time. You need to add some vitamin C you need to do, like, but you don't know. You truly That's don't why- know. Until you feel. Absolutely. And until you're taking your body to those limits, to your limits and to the limits of humankind, right? People love to say that training and getting stronger is easy until you're at this point. And at this point, it becomes such, so insanely complex and it requires such a, a huge amount of intellect, knowledge, experience, patience, mm-hmm. patience. People don't understand. Of course, of course, getting strong is easy when you're perfectly healthy and when you're trying to squat a hundred pounds. Of course, that's and you've easy been lifting for a year for 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 three months. Now try it after 15, yeah. 20 years. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I actually, I think it was like fifteen years ago. I was saying to uh, to people, I'm like, I want to, I, I want to be, I want, you know, I want to. I want to move more weight than anyone else in the world. And they're like, Oh, you want to be stronger? I'm like, no, I want to move more weight than anyone. They're like, it's the same thing. I'm like, no, it's not yeah. like it, 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 you've got to be smart. You've got to cover all the details. You got to optimize your training. You got to like, I can't tell you how many meets like at the time I was doing where I'd beat people that are just farm boy, strong, stronger than me, you know, but their technique wasn't there. They, they, they ill-prepared for the meat, they, whatever, whatever it is. And this person that is just physically just way stronger than you, you can move more weight than them mm-hmm. because you're better prepared, you're better positioned, you're all these sorts of things. And not that it's an important point, but like, that's the, how I thought about like going about getting to where I am now. It's not about just, obviously I wanted to get strong. That's all part of it. But if that's your sole approach and you're not thinking about everything else, You'll never get there. Chris, so, so many years in pursuit for this particular feat of strength. And this is going to be, like you said, your last one. How are you dealing psychologically with almost like the loss of identity that you're going to go through? You know, if you're not going to be an athlete anymore, you're not going to be a, you're not going to be pushing your body to those limits anymore. How do you, how, how do you think you're going to deal with that? And how are you dealing with it already? Yeah, actually, uh, actually I'm excited about it. So, uh, uh, which is uh, probably not a usual sentiment. Um, I'm I'm used to seeing people go through this, uh, particularly in like a lot of other sports as well, because that's where a lot of people are. They they take and they identify this one aspect of their life with their identity, and then you take that away, and it's like, who am I? What do I? What am I doing? What am I working on? And I've seen that happen to so many people through the course of the years, just from injuries as well, and realize this piece of uh, of of our life and what we're doing in the sport can be taken away at any time. And it could just be an auto accident, you know, like you, it doesn't, it's not necessarily something in the gym. Uh, but one thing that I've always done is this has just been a part of my life. It's one way to express the values and the way that I want to live that self exploration through pushing oneself, uh, you know, really understanding and determining your limits and, I have a lot of other things in my life. So right now I've got four different companies <laughs> that I'm managing. I've got hobbies and things that I 
that are very extensive that I want to get more involved with. Uh, my wife's got some projects cooking, literally, uh, that I uh, that I want to start like pushing and helping her with. So right now, my plans post. I've got this amazing vehicle I've been working on for well over ten years, That's twelve years. Gracious. I'm going to finish it this year mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and start taking that out and uh, doing some things with. Uh, it's dubbed the war rig. You can actually find its own page on Instagram. It's a one of a kind build. The uh, war what? It's war rig. War, war rig. rig. Duffin's war rig on Instagram. Cool. But uh, that's so cool. I four, think four four wheel steering, forty seven inch tires can air up and air down while you're going down the road. Fully override the suspension at any point. Like it's and it's got front and rear AC and a nice stereo. So. Uh, <laughs> Kids are going to love it when I drive to school, yeah. so slide, slide in sideways. <laughs> but uh, so I want to finish that up. Me and my wife have started working on our pilot's license. Whoa. So we want to uh, want to get moving with that. She wants to start doing a show on Northwest uh, uh, cooking cuisine. And so having the plane would allow us her, her family's in uh, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and mine's over in Eastern Oregon. And then a lot of our friends are from California all the way up. So being able to take the family, you know, do stuff like that. And then also support kind of her show and the things that we're doing there. And then I am not able to produce as much content because of my training as I want to, to help others. Mm-hmm. So our coaching staff does that all the time on our, uh, we've got a, another Instagram Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. So if anybody wants to see some free, uh, we drop content almost daily on that channel. Our coaches do, but I want to get more engaged in that process myself and start getting stuff out there. So my focus, I'm still going to be training. It's just going to be more on health and longevity. And then also putting out more content to help people. So there's, I got a lot that I want to get after. And, uh, so I'm, I'm excited to move that direction. It's a, it's, it's a shift. I'll still be training, but not I'm not going to be chasing thousand pound squats. And also here's the other thing. Like I don't have a whole lot left to chase. If, if I squat, if I deadlift a thousand pounds for reps and squat a thousand pounds for reps, what else do you go for? I mean, I picked that, you know, the grand because <laughs> if it's, if I went back and did it with a thousand fifty. You know, it doesn't mean that much more. Now, if I only did it with 990, people still like this thousand, like kind of catches in your head. Right. So that's where I picked, like, I want to do the most reps anybody's ever done. You got to go for 2000 now. What's that? You got to go for 2000 now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it's just like, there's not, there's not a whole lot else for me to really reach, uh, on that perspective, uh, for me. So, so I just want to. Well, also got a young wife and three kids. And, uh, so, you know, that's, uh, some more important responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm excited, but I definitely understand that. And I see that happen all the time. It's a very good question, Steph, because I, 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 I struggle sometimes when I see people get so focused on like their identity wrapped around one aspect in one sport. And particularly a lot of people that do it aren't even at necessarily that elite level. And it's like, you know, this is something that's, we do for fun that we do it because we love it. And, you know, it's a, it's a gift to be able to do it, but it, it, you know, it's, it shouldn't be the only thing in your life. No, never. 
Yeah. And uh, like a good friend of mine, uh, Chad Ikes, he used to be one of the best power lifters uh, of his age back in the WPO. And he used to be into mountain bike riding, skateboarding, photography. And he got so wrapped up in chasing these numbers and what he was doing to his body. And he ended up with a gun in his mouth ready to pull the trigger. Wow. Before he quit powerlifting. Wow. Wow. That's and scary. now he's back loving life again. And he's doing all those, all those things again. And he's like, I, he's like, I didn't realize I just slowly started drifting away because I, I didn't want to cut into my training. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do that. And he's like, next thing you know, I didn't have all the things in my life that brought me joy. That's what I was All I had say. was lifting. Yeah. And I was pushing it so hard, so heavy. I wasn't sleeping right. You know, all this sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and obviously there's some underlying issues if you're still putting a, n- none of this is, this is all public knowledge, by the way, I've done a podcast with him, so I feel okay with sharing it, <laughs> but, uh, uh, that would be, that would be brutal if it wasn't though, that would, <laughs> not, be, that would not be cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I know a lot of people that have been through that and that's a, that's an example. And that's why you can't just have, I, I really push people to try to be rounded in what they do. Mm-hmm. And, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a fine balance. It's, it's a fine balance, but you absolutely cannot just stop doing, pushing away all the things that bring meaning to your life, including obviously hobbies and other interests outside of lifting, but also your friends and family. I mean, I know so many people that get so wrapped up that don't want to do anything. Don't want to go out. Don't want to, yep. don't want to travel. Don't want to do anything that, that will compromise your performance the next day. And it's yep. sad, you know, because like you said, you're, you're every and I'm day in that phase right now. That's that's where I'm at right now, uh, but it's, it's a it's phase temporary. of the year for yeah. me yeah. Uh, and I know what it is, why it is. And it's not my life. It's, yeah. I, I think it's, it's such an easy trap for uh, athletes to fall into in, in any field because our society glorifies sacrifice so much. Like whenever, mm-hmm. whenever they're, you know, the media is putting an athlete up on a pedestal, uh, it's, what are they talking about? All the sacrifices they made to get to where they are, are, you know, and then, and then it just reinforces for all the amateur lifters or athletes, you know, they think they need to make those same sacrifices. They end up cutting off everyone and everything. And it's not in even life. The, just the athletic world. I mean, the, uh, the whole entrepreneur grind porn, uh, you know, absolutely. where it's like the hustle porn, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> but it's like, you got to give up everything, just push and grind, you know, and, you know, work your 20 hour days and it's like, and do it for years, maybe 10 years. And then, then you'll see something. And it's like, well, I understand what you're saying, but let's, let's apply a little bit of thought to this. I'll also watch Netflix uh, and have a beer. Yes, please. <laughs> you got to take time. And that's right. Like my whole book is about, uh, so the Eagle and the Dragon, it's an autobiography, but it's like a self-help book. It walks through the philosophies that I've used in my life um, because, again, I, I went from – I've had an interesting life scope. So you know, I, I grew up homeless in, in the woods, in the mountains, like killing animals, foraging for food, uh, dealt with murderers, a serial killer, human trafficking, a whole lot of freaking nasty stuff, okay? I ended up putting myself uh, through college – uh, took custody of my three sisters, raised all three of them while I was working on my engineering degrees, my MBA and pushing my career. I went down the whole route of becoming a standard successful, uh, 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 American adult had a house with a white picket fence. And Classic. I was, I was a corporate executive doing sought after for coming in and doing turnarounds. I ran aerospace companies, automotive manufacturing, high tech, all sorts of environments. And, uh, and I got a lot out of that, 
But there was a lot of phases and a lot of introspection to get to where I'm at now. And it that led me to walking away from all of that. Well, not all of it, not the family side. So, but, uh, um, and, and, and it's really around understanding what your values are in life. So a lot of people want to jump to like setting goals. I want to be like Steph. I want to set some world. Well, why do you want those things? There's a lot of reasons that you could want that. Mm-hmm. Could be for recognition, could be for fame, could be for sense of accomplishment. It could be like the list goes on and on for why you want these things. And that's where I really try to get people to push is understanding why do you want these things? Because if you don't understand the underlying reason, you could actually chase entirely the wrong direction. And there's other ways to realize those same values. So for me, like my values, I, I do like recognition sense of accomplishment is huge. Creativity is, is a big piece for me. Um, security, which kind of counters uh, accomp- the, you know, the things that you kind of chase if you're going for accomplishment and recognition. It's also big for me because of my, my upbringing. Um, <clears throat> and there's a few other ones, but if I understand those, it helps you actually set a life that can realize living those values. And then you can create goals goals that will actually get you there. Uh, an example I use a lot of times is, you know, trying to, so this is a playoff of the, uh, the entrepreneur, uh, uh, hustle porn, which is everybody wants a fancy, you got to work and get your fancy house and your, uh, your, your mansion and your, uh, and, and your supercar, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to want these things. You got to go I'm like, that's fine. But why do you want those? So I'll use the, the, uh, the security value. Okay. If, if it's for security and because you think, Hey, once I have those things, it means that I've done really well in my life. I'm financially secure to take care of myself, my family, all these things. But if I don't understand that and I focus on those goals of having the, the fancy mansion and, and, and the fancy car, I could overreach myself to get those things and actually create the opposite of security. Right. Right. So that's where understanding, like doing that deep dive, that introspection of like, what do I want? And, and because we see so many people though, it's flight. I see this person do this and this person do that. And it's like, Oh, that's cool. I want to do that. That's my goal now. Or there's the whole bucket list approach. Just like create a bunch of them. What is a bunch of random goals that where's that going to get you? What you want to do is to really accomplish things in life. You've got to have focused but still have a full encompassed life. And the only way to do that is to really pair out things that are non-essential. So having a bucket list or random goals can actually be really detrimental because you're going to be working on things that are not really adding to the quality of life that you want to live. And, and that's what I, I really want to drive home to people in this book and really walk them pro- through the process of the introspection, the understanding what they really want out of life and then how to align their life with that. And so it's, uh, it's a much more than an autobiography, but uh, sorry, just went oh on my a, gosh, no, I, I, think I love that rant, so much. I think that's such great advice. I think so many people, uh, you know, just asking the question why when you're doing uh-huh. anything can be so valuable and, and most of us don't do it. You're no, right. And, and, and especially, you know, kids when they graduate from high school, that's not the kind of thought process and critical thinking no. that they're taught. Yeah. Yep. And 
And, you know, you graduate from high school and you're pretty much forced to go into college because what else are you going to do? Just pick something. pick something. These are the classes you did good at. Go <laughs> something there. Like, exactly. I mean, <laughs> but there's no there's no guidance. There's no real advising. You know, there's there's very little critical thinking as far as what your goals are, what you're good at, what where you see yourself being, what brings you happiness. There's very little conversation, if none, around those things. Man, you should go uh, do talks at high schools. Or freshmen in college. Yeah. Seriously, it'd no, be so I, awesome. I, that's actually one of the things, like, I thought the whole uh, process of finalizing high school and getting to college was just so utterly unhelpful. It's absurd. Like, there was really no guidance whatever, whatsoever yeah. in really aligning anything that I wanted to do with my life. It was, like, I just randomly, it's like, a teacher, psychologist. <laughs> I'm good at math engineer. Okay. Those are the three. Let's pick one. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I, <laughs> it seems and, like a ridiculously small amount of thought to go into what career path you're going to choose for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, you're not going to have it nailed, but if you start walking through the process, you can start working the direction in the right direction. That's going to put you closer as you start refining that. Cause you're, you're not going to have everything planned out exactly or know exactly what you want at that age, but you, you should be in the process of start understanding what you truly value in life. And, and that, and that way you can start, you know, Hey, Hey, I went down this career. I really love helping people, uh, with, uh, you know, overcome, you know, uh, pain or challenges in their life. So, teacher or psychology could be a good direction. And maybe you go down that a while and you get, oh, I went this psychology degree, but I really like, uh, you know, speaking and okay. And I can take this and kind of tailor it. But if you went down, like I'm using my examples, went down the engineering path and you're like, sheesh, now where do I turn? <laughs> I've got no useful skills that I've developed after getting my degree and then working for 10 years to even make the shifts into the things that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Luckily for me, I actually finished college and I was working as in leadership because that's, that's me. So I love helping people. Um, and I said, that's what I got out of my career was actually being able to refine and hone my skills to be able to mentor people and change organizations through the people, um, to deliver change. And so I realized as soon as I got done with school, I'm like, I'm not, I'm never going to be an engineer. This leadership thing is going to teach me the skills. And so I end up managing engineers and then managing companies and so on. And that's what I really loved out of it. But I knew I could do more. There's two things I, here. One is when you made the choice to become an engineer, it almost felt it, it feels inconsequential because you're so young and, and have no ability to manage risks or visualize yourself in the future. So the decision you're making in the present seems totally inconsequential. That's the first thing. And the second thing, yeah, of course, you're, you're going to try to find something that you like, that you enjoy, but also that's going to allow you to have the lifestyle that you envision for yourself. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. cool. You like teaching, you like helping people. That's all fun and nice and, and cute, but is being a teacher going to allow you to buy the mansion and the, and the nice car? If that's something you like, and if that's something that's important to you. So. Well, think about all those, uh, 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 pro- all the, uh, strength coaches in uh, professional, uh, and collegiate sports, they don't make very much money and they work massive amount of hours. They're one of the mo- least most underpaid, you know, people out there. And it was a career that they just loved and wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, having time with your family and, you know, being able to buy a nice home and live a certain lifestyle were part of your goals, 
you're going to struggle for a long, long time before you get there. Mm -hmm. So you better really understand why you want to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Florida man? A lot of factors. <laughs> Not sure how we got onto this discussion. I don't know, but I, I, I love it. Hey, by the way, all over the place, so. can you send me, can you send me, do you have a hardcover? Yeah. Can yeah. you send me one signed? Absolutely. We're, we're building a, a library here. So we, uh, we're trying I was to actually going to ask if I'd sent you one. If not, I was going to. No, so, we're yeah. also going to start a segment on the podcast. It's going to be once a month where we review books. So I'd love to do a book review on your book as well. Awesome. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we go, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast, but we do a little uh, Florida man section where we look for a current Florida man news. Do you know what Florida man is? Uh, I, 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 I've never heard that term before, but I know, uh, I, I know Florida, uh, stories. I, I, Are they the so my wife's ones. Canadian. I actually had to teach her, I'm like, just type in anything and Florida and you'll find out <laughs> something. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's essentially the, the gist of this. If you type Florida man, any specific date, there's going to be a story of something, uh, ridiculous. So okay. we always, we always okay, wrap up the podcast one. on a funny okay. note. Nursing home murder. Florida man, 47 years old, accused of killing ex-girlfriend's 95-year-old boyfriend. That's a good one? Uh, that's terrible. I mean, I'm saying it's a good story. <laughs> that's, the, that's not a good story. That's the heaviest one we've the ever suspect, heard. suspect, <laughs> 47-year-old William Hawkins, fled from the victim's room after a nurse called authorities to report someone tried to hurt a patient. That's like a forensic file story. What? Oh my Let's God. Let's get, get, get a funnier one than that. That's pretty dark. I want to hear about like some guy. Something funny. Someone yeah. microwaving a microwave. That was a good one. Okay. Or the guy training a squirrel to attack his neighbor. That was a pretty good one too. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was charged. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> um, Caesar, you have any fun ones? Florida man accused of robbing a Chinese restaurant at Finger Point. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Did that really happen? Yeah. Oh my God. At so, finger point? Yeah. So he, he made a, he a, fi a finger gun and tried to rob a, chi a Chinese restaurant of all places. <laughs> and <laughs> what happened? Caesar, yeah, what happened? happened? He pointed up his index finger and second finger pointing straight out. Uh, he's facing armed robbery charges without having a gun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard that though. If you, if you try, like, it, I think how the law works is if you try to make it seem like you have a gun, you're charged as if you did, right? Like that's why people who rob banks with, with highlighters, you know, they put it up against somebody yep. at the thing, they get the same charge. It, it makes sense because the person thinks they're being robbed yeah. at gunpoint. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, your intent is usually the same. I would imagine. I don't have any other good ones. Those were good. I yeah, mean, pretty, and bad, <laughs> good and bad. Yeah. The All good, right. the bad, the ugly of Florida. Hey, Chris, thank you uh, so much for doing this. I it's, feel like we're going to have to have another uh, part two because. Yeah. What? Well, you, you drop some some crazy knowledge bumps at the end and, and, and life stories that I had no idea about that I need to dive in deeper. So we're going to have to do part two for sure. Absolutely. I would love that actually. And uh, uh, I want to get down to Florida this year anyway. Um, well, actually, my team's heading down there. Next week, I think they're going to be in your area. Or what, Our sales guys are working on with all the uh, uh, MLB teams. Oh, okay. oh very cool. I'm not traveling right now. Right. <laughs> because I squat once a week and I'm a big prima donna and that's all I can do. <laughs> so <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. 
Hey, well, you guys are obviously always welcome here. And if you're, your guys want a place to train while uh, they're in town, just let us know and we'll I'll right. set that up. Well, uh, I'd like to come down there and we can, uh, when I do, uh, I'll see if we can uh, do a podcast in person then. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Where can, uh, where can people find you? Uh, best places to interact uh, would be Instagram and LinkedIn. So I really don't do anything on Facebook. I created a TikTok account and a Twitter, but I'm just not, I'm not a 140 syllable person or a, <laughs> or a dancey, whatever. I would on love TikTok. to see you doing some of those TikTok dances. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, mad scientist Duffin. Uh, you just type in Chris Duffin on any of these platforms. You'll find me. We'll make it easy. Uh, if you want to know more about the book or any of the other, so barefoot athletics, um, build fast, uh, formula, which we just released a really amazing protein. Uh, we've got some incredible, uh, other products as far as uh, pre-workout and recovery, uh, as well. Kabuki strength, all that is on my personal website, Christopher Duffin.com. Or you can just, uh, check out uh, Kabuki strength. Like I said, definitely check out the, uh, coaching Instagram, uh, because that, uh, that really has a lot of great content dropped almost daily, which is Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. We should rename it because it's just an education channel. So, but all the links that we put up before all go to that one. So we're kind of stuck with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, that's where you awesome. can find me at. Awesome. Thanks again, Thank Chris. So that was awesome.